0: So much. I begin tonight with a question or two. What must be included in the godly man's response to affliction and distress? What would your own response to affliction and distress include? Would your Response include the necessary right spiritual components toward both God and man. Last time, from Psalm three, we saw how King David responded in the morning hours when he was being pursued by his own son, incredibly, Absalom. Absalom was attempting a coup against David's throne. And now in Psalm 4, in the watches of the night, we presumably see how David is continuing to respond to Absalom's insurrection and pursuit of him. And how does David respond to all this affliction and distress? Well, just like he responded in Psalm 3, with five components. Do you remember what he did in Psalm 3? Number one, he prayed to God. Number two, he believed on God. Number three, he was seeking answers from God. Number four, he was resting in God. And five, proclaiming his God. And here in Psalm 4, he similarly responds. Again, five components to this psalm. Number one, and I'll repeat these, solemn prayer. Number two, stinging rebuke. Number three, sustained obedience. Number four, salutary good. And number five, superabounding joy and secure peace. And we'll go over these in the message tonight. But before we do that, and so that we might see what really is included in this siege against David by Absalom. I want you to go in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and we will do, I think, if I can remember over the last 30 years or so that I've been preaching, something that I don't believe I have ever done, and that is to read a large portion of Holy Scripture in the sense that a sermon that is on Psalm 4 I think actually starts in 2 Samuel, with the background. And when you read Psalms 3 and 4, and you see what Absalom is doing against his father, against the throne, against his countrymen, you find out what David is experiencing. You find out what real affliction and distress is all about. And so let's start in 2 Samuel 13, around verse 34. And I'll read quickly. And if you have the English Standard Version of the Bible, you'll be able to follow word for word until we finish chapter 18. You ready? This is the background for Psalms 3 and 4. 2 Samuel 13, 34. But Absalom fled. This, of course, was after he killed the rapist, his own brother Amnon, of his sister Tamar. And the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. As your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow, my husband is dead, and your servant had two sons, and they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan is risen against your servant and they say give up the man who struck his brother that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed and so they would destroy the heir also thus they would quench my coal that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth and then the woman then the king said to the woman go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, If any one says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. And then she said, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son be not destroyed. He said, As the Lord lives, no, not one hair "'of your of your son shall fall to the ground.' "'Then the woman said, "'Please let your servant speak a word to my lord, the king.' "'He said, "'Speak.' "'And the woman said, "'Why then have you planned such a thing "'against the people of God? "'For in giving this decision, "'the king convicts himself, "'inasmuch as the king does not bring "'his banished one home again. "'We must all die. "'We are like water spilled on the ground "'which cannot be gathered up again.' But God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now I have come to say this to my lord the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant, for the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servant thought, The word of my Lord, the king will set me at rest for my Lord, the king is like the angel of God to discern good and evil. The Lord, your God be with you. Then the king answered the woman, do not hide from me anything I ask you. And the woman said, let my Lord, the king speak. The king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered and said, As surely as you live, my lord the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has said. It was your servant Joab who commanded me. It was he who put all these words in the mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant Joab did this. But my lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel of God to know all things that are on the earth. Then the king said to Joab, Behold, now I grant this. Go, go. Bring back the young man, Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord the king, in that the king has granted the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence. Now in all Israel there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels by the king's weight, There were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come to him. And he sent a second time, but Joab would not come. Then he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is next to mine and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me go into the presence of the king. And if there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Gesher in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. And a messenger came to David, saying, "'The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom.' Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, "'Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. "'Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, "'and strike the city with the edge of the sword.'" And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out, and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out, and all the people after him. And they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him. And all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all the six hundred Gittites who had followed him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I, Since I go, I know not where. Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Itai answered the king, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for life or for, for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the book the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back, and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Amahaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up. The ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the Arkite came to him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the council of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Amaz, Zadok's son and Jonathan, Abiathar's wife or son, excuse me. By them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was enter- entering Jerusalem. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba the servant of Mephibosheth met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing two hundred loaves of bread, a hundred. Bunches of raisins, a hundred of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, "'Why have you brought these?' Ziba answered. "'The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, "'the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, "'and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink.' And the king said, "'And where is your master's son?' Ziba said to the king, "'Behold, he remains in Jerusalem,' "'for he said, "'Today the house of Israel "'will give me back the kingdom of my father.'" Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. When David, King David came to Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gera. And he came, and as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David, and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shemai said as he cursed, get out, get out you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son, Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zerui, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why why have you done so? David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan and there he refreshed himself. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened." So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. And Hushai said to Absalom, this time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, you know that your father and his men are mighty men, and they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people." Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men whose heart is like the heart of a lion will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude, and you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ammaaz were waiting at En-Rogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Barim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, "'Where are Amaaz and Jonathan?' And the woman said to them, "'They have gone over the brook of water.' And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, "'Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you.' Then David arose and all the people who were with him and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Then David came to Mahanaim and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra, the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Naash, sister of Zeruiah. Joab's mother and Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Ma'anaim, Shobi the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites and Machir the son of Amiel from Lodebar. And Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogelim brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parts grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness." Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one third under the command of Joab, one third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will go out with you. But the men said, you shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us but you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. The king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword, and Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule and the mule went under the thick branches of a great terebinth and his head caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule that was under him went on and a certain man saw it and told Joab, behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, what, you saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son, for in our hearing the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, For my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof, Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained them. And they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, every one to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You are not to carry news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Job, Come what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, he saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and told the king and the king said, if he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. The watchman saw another man running and the watchman called to the gate and said, see another man running alone. The king said, he also brings news The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he is a good man and comes with good news. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, all is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, is it well with the young man Absalom? And Hemaaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I did not know what it was. And the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushite came. And the Cushite said, good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Something so powerful about reading the Word of God and all of that background that presumably is why David would say something like this in Psalm 4 if you'll turn there. to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. What we've read tonight is undoubtedly that which David was experiencing, we know in Psalm 3, and very possibly, and we might even say probably in Psalm 4. All of that narrative cuts to the heart, doesn't it? So many emotions, so much turmoil, trouble, so much criticism, Innuendo, rumors, gossip, undermining. What does a person do when you're under attack like that? Well, I know the first thing that we all must do, and certainly what David did do, is go to solemn prayer. Solemn prayer. What does solemn prayer include? Look at verse 1 of Psalm 4. I think the first thing that solemn prayer includes is answers for the righteous. Answers for the righteous. If you want to know what solemn prayer includes, it has to include answers for the righteous, right? That's why you're going to God. That's why you're asking Him to come through for you as a righteous person. The word order in the Hebrew text starts, when I call. And then secondly, answer me, O God, of my righteousness. When I call. That's the first thing David does. He calls out to God. He cries out to God. And first and foremost, he cries out to God because he wants to know immediately and up front about his needs before that God and he appeals to the fact that God himself is righteous and that he David stands in the righteousness of God as a righteous person who's looking for answers and the only one who can supply those answers is God himself look at Psalm 3 7 in Psalm 3 7 do you remember what David said there arise O Lord Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Can you imagine that scene that we read in 2 Samuel with David having his head covered, barefoot, weeping along with his people, having to flee the coup? He can't have the ark of God, he can't go to the top of the Mount of Olives and worship his God. He has to flee like he's some kind of criminal. And he he just pours out his heart before God. When I call, please answer me, O God of my righteousness. That's what you do. That's why I call it solemn prayer. I need answers. Have you ever felt that way? God, I need answers from you. It's not in the demanding sense. It's not like you and I are, are, as it were, bringing God Himself to the bar of justice. We're just asking, God, please help me. When I, when I call you, please be there. Help me. I, I want to be righteous, God, as you are righteous. And in your covenant love, I am righteous. That's like we would say in the New Covenant age, you and I stand in the robed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we can go to God through the access of Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And David says, I'm calling, Lord. I need you. Absalom is at my heels. He wants answers. He's a righteous man. And he believes that God will give him the answers. And you know what else? Solemn prayer includes relief from distress. Relief from distress. Look at the middle part of verse 1. It could either be a part of the prayer, and it could be even, in a sense, this cry of David continued, give me relief. Or maybe even an affirmation like the ESV has it, you have given me relief in my distress. I don't know when David prayed this prayer, but it might have been sometime after he wailed in his room about his son Absalom, grieving even though his son was after him to kill him. As any father would do, my son is dead and that doesn't bring me any joy. but maybe as he continues to reflect upon the realities that he's been delivered, that he hasn't been deposed as king. And even though Absalom is dead, God has been faithful to him. And he says, you've given me relief from my distress. And I told you last time, isn't, isn't David in a sense uh, trained in this a bit? Because he had to run all over the place from Saul? And now he's running all over the place from Absalom, his own own son. David knows what it is to be in distress. And he knows that God's the only one who's going to give him the relief. And God does. By the way, the word distress can mean a tight place. Or or it could refer to, to being bound, a binding of something. And apparently David is... Is thanking God for giving him some wideness out of the jam he's been in. You've given me a a wide place. It's not as constricted as it once was. Dill Ralph Davis translates this part of the verse In tight places, you have made space for me. Isn't that what we need? We're in distress. And we need some gracious latitude. And that's, in fact, the third thing that you see at the end of verse 1 grace in the need. Not only answers for the righteous and relief from the distress, but grace in the need. Notice what he says Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Yes. Lord, I'm looking for grace. You say, Well, he's the king. Yes, but did you know that portion of 2 Samuel that we didn't read that was also setting up what we did read was David's own failures? How he wrecked his own home? How the prophet Nathan had to go to him and say, you're the man! And how Nathan also continued to prophesy and he said, you're going to basically have problems in your family for the rest of your life david knew what it meant to ask god for undeserved grace mercy that's that's what grace is isn't it undeserved mercy we know we don't deserve it we know we can't just burst through the doors in the presence of god himself and say you're a gracious God. That's your business, isn't it? Aren't you supposed to be this kind and forgiving God? Well, if you are, then give me some. No. No, we know what sinners we are. And we know the truth of what Hebrews chapter 2 says about what we need. We know that. We, we know that we are a person who needs help. Grace in time of need. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. David knew he needed grace and every Christian in our day knows we need grace. Chapter 4 says, we are... Yeah, we need grace. Lots of grace. Can you imagine someone like Absalom, your own son, who would just as soon thrust his sword into your heart as his father? Lord, give me grace. Alan Ross, speaking about grace, says, It is like obtaining an audience with a gracious sovereign, in His good grace He will grant the petition, although there may be no reason binding Him to do so. That's why they call it grace. There's no reason for it to be dispensed to the undeserving, except for the gracious hand of God Himself. Because that is who He is, and He'll do it toward the righteous. Solemn prayer. It includes those things. Number two. What standing rebuke includes. Look at verses 2 and 3. What stand, uh, stinging, I should say, what stinging rebuke includes. Verses 2 and 3. Verse 2. O men. Now David's turning. And he's not talking to God. He's actually warning the unrighteous those who are pursuing him, the wicked. And he says this, O men, or O sons of men, or actually O sons of a man, in the singular, singing probably, signaling probably something like royalty, or a distinguished or influential person, or persons. O men, You who are the the commanders, you who are the pursuers who are commanding armies against me, whoever you are, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? In other words, he turns from praying directly to God to actually warning those who don't love God, who don't care about God. And he warns them, he says, how long? How long are you going to do this? How long shall my honor as king and God who has set me as king, how long will you shame me? That's what he's saying. I mean, can you imagine looking on your television screen at a picture, a live picture, of the president of the United States, states whomever he may be, being uh, carted off as a prisoner in chains, with his head covered, weeping, and pictures of his family we- weeping and fellow citizens weeping because the enemy has been able to to take him away or the enemy is fleeing and the president doesn't look like some strong leader of the free world, but someone who's having to run for his life. Maybe you might hear someone say, how long is this going to go on? How long is, is the president going to be shamed like this? Where's the end? What's going to happen? And in other words, David is saying shame will be requited. Shame will be requited. There's going to be a payback. God has set a time limit on how long a king or anyone else's shame will be tolerated. There's going to be payback. And notice what he says. Secondly, vanity will be vanquished. How long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long will you love vain words? Worthless words. And when we read in that narrative in 2 Samuel, how much did we hear about that? How much did Shemai say, You're worthless, David. You're a man of blood. And he threw stones at him and he picked up dust. And he was throwing it. That David, and he continued to walk along the top of the mountain, and he continued to hurl his taunts at David? You say, yeah, well, David responded and said, let him alone. Let him do what he's doing. Maybe it's from the Lord. The Lord told him to. But in the end, you know and I know that David is the true king. And these vain words, these worthless words, they're, they're going to be vanquished. And David's saying, I warn you. You're doing it now, but you're not going to do it forever. And notice he also says lies will be punished. Not just that shame will be requited, requited and worthlessness will be vanquished, these vain words, but the lies. Those who seek after lies. It's all going to be punished. God's judgment upon the wicked. It's all going to be punished. That's why we may have that word listed there at the end of verse 2. Selah. Pause 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 and think about this every single lie every single vain word every single criticism taunt against god's anointed will be dealt with i presume as jesus said in matthew 12:36 and 37 i tell you on the day of judgment people will give an account for every careless word they speak For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. How does does God protect and vindicate the righteous? Look at verse 3. But know that the Lord, that is Yahweh, has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. This is is so marvelous. This is is David's answer. I mean, how long is this going to happen? And the answer comes, but know... All you leaders of the world, but you better know that the Lord has set apart, has set boundaries, has has set a plan in motion and he has cordoned off the godly for himself. He's protecting him. Ultimately, he's protecting him. The Lord will know, the Lord marks out, he protects those who he loves by his covenant faithfulness. I mean, you go all the way back, and I wish we could. Maybe you should read the entirety of, of 2 Samuel. And when you get to chapter 7, God's own prophecy, as it were, through the mouth of the prophet is to say this. Here's what's going to happen. David's kingdom is going to last forever. Not David himself, but the kingdom from which David line, David's line proceeds. And of course, it went to Solomon. And who does it ultimately go to? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's a forever kingdom. Second Samuel, read it. The Lord has set apart the, the godly, the, the covenant one. You, you might even be able to translate that. The covenant love of God toward that man. And he's going to keep that line going. That kingdom will will be forever. That's his answer. I mean, all the frustrated wannabe kings of the world, all those who hurl their insults, all those who rise up and then they fall away, you hear from them for a while, and then they just fade from the picture, from the annals of human history, and God just lets them go to the dust. He says, my kingdom will be forever. And that's what David is saying. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Answered prayer. Number three, what sustained obedience includes. Look at verses four and five. Not just solemn prayer and what it includes, And not just stinging rebuke and what it includes, but also sustained obedience and what it includes. I think in that narrative in verse 4, David switches again. He's talking to God and then he's warning the wicked rulers of the world and now he might even turn to his own men. And you remember some of these men, they wanted to go to battle. They wanted to seek vengeance upon this this marauding band, some of their own kinsmen who have turncoated, they, they have gone after David when they shouldn't, they, they hooked their wagon to Absalom of all people. I mean, he deceived them, there's no question about that. He manipulated them, but they started following Absalom by the thousands and by the ten thousands. Yes, he coerced them. Yes, he manipulated them. There's no question. We read that, but they did it anyway. And now, in a sense, you've got David and his mighty men, these valiant guys, who would go with David to the death. We read that, right? And maybe they're saying something like this, David... Let's go after these guys. Let's take vengeance upon them. Let's kill them. And maybe David has to make them pause for a moment. And he says, let me give you some principles. Number one, be agitated. Be agitated. Be angry. Do you see that there in verse 4? Be angry. That's quoted in Ephesians 4.26, isn't it? Be angry, but do not sin. Different context, but here it might be something like this. This this is a word that means to tremble, uh, to, to shake, to quake. And maybe this is somebody inside, maybe one of David's mighty men who's, who's valiant to be sure, but who's also about at the breaking point and they want to take vengeance in their own hand. They are so angry and maybe even righteously so. We grant you that. And David says, yes. Use all of that physical energy that you've got inside yourself, yes, to do war, yes, and be angry, and defend the cause of God himself. Yes, do that, be agitated, be angry, be ready, be ready to fight. You know, even as Jesus did in John 2, when Jesus just cleansed the temple, remember that? He had such righteous indignation. He was perfectly and sinlessly angry at what they were doing. You remember what he said? Stop turning my father's house, this house of prayer, into a den of what? Robbers, thieves. And he made this whip and he cleansed the temple. I mean, that was some righteous anger. And maybe maybe some of David's mighty men are, are angry. And he says, that's all right, it's all right. But check it. Check your heart. Number two, don't sin. Don't sin. See that? Be angry and do not sin. Isn't that what Romans 12 tells us? Someone does evil to you. Everything within your power, do good to them. Try as best you can to be at peace with all men. You know, use the anger, but use it in a way that pleases God. Don't sin. And then thirdly, think carefully. I mean, be agitated. Don't sin. Think carefully. Look at verse 4. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. Meditate. Meditate. Clearly think. Think about what you're doing. Be careful with your next move. I mean, take, take all that energy Take all that physical energy that that God supplies, but in the most wise and judicious way, use it carefully, carefully. I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen some of these reports. I think I saw one again this week on the news where they've set up these rooms now. Have you seen this? They set up these rooms where people can get out all of their aggression. Have you seen this? In these rooms in places around the country and if you pay your money which of course should sort of tip you off right you pay your money you put on your little goggles and you take either a baseball bat or a sledgehammer and you go into these rooms and you just start wreaking havoc you hit old appliances maybe it's even outside at times and you take the baseball bat you hit cars clunkers and the whole part of the process is people who are getting out their physical aggression, and they say often, and they interviewed some of them, oh, it feels so good. They're just, they're just trying to wail on something because I guess they assume they can't wail on somebody. Think carefully before you use that physical energy that God gives you. I mean, be agitated. You're trembling. You want to bring it all upon someone's head. Don't sin. Think carefully. And then he says, be silent. Be silent. Pause. Think. Think. Think more than you speak. (laughs) And then obey God. Obey God. Offer right sacrifices. Maybe that's what you do (laughs) when you use your physical energy and you know you've sinned against the Lord by taking a kind of vigil- vigilanteism on so that you are making somebody pay, well, then you're going to have to confess to the Lord and do what's right and obey God and in that Old Testament sense, offer right sacrifices. And then he says this, put your trust in the Lord. I mean, my friends, just in that little space of verses 4 and 5, six great commands... Maybe he's coaching his guys. Be angry. Don't sin. Think carefully. Be silent. Obey God. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. That may be one of the greatest verses of the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, 4, and 5, right? Trust in the Lord. Don't... Don't rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Number four, what salutary good include? You say, what does salutary mean? Benefit. Look at verse six. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Maybe this is that same group that David's counseling right, his mighty men, the valiant guys. And he's saying, look, fellas, I know that you're saying, why are we the ones who are running? Why are we running away? Let's do what we need to do. And David says, hang on, hang on. And they say, but David, there are many who are our aggressors. And we're just asking the question, Who will show us some good? Will God do it? Is Yahweh going to show us some good? When? And here's David's response. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Yahweh. Remember from Numbers 6, you know, lift up the light of your face upon us, that wonderful benediction. He sort of uses that first line, lift up the light of your face upon us. David says, Lord, my mighty men, lift up your face, lift up your, the, the light of your face upon them. And then it happens. And we read, didn't we, in chapter 18? Absalom is dead. And even though, even though King David's grieving, he goes back to the throne, right? And he weeps and he weeps and then he's over his weeping and then he realizes all my prayers all my prayers have been answered. God has done it all. He's been faithful to what he promised. And David says this is what superabounding joy and secure peace include. Look at verses 7 and 8. You have put more joy in my heart than when than they have when their grain and wine abound what does he mean by that i think what david means by that is this you know in that kind of desolate desert-like place that is the ancient near east it's arid it's dry and the farmers are doing everything they can to bring in the produce and to have fruitful wine for their drink it was about all that they had and you have the picture of this huge produce coming in. I mean, more than you can handle, more than somebody has the ability to put in their storehouses. All this grain, God is so blessed. And this wine, it's just coming in abundance. We have all that we could possibly drink in this dry and arid place. And David says, look, you find somebody who has joy in their heart when their vats are filled with wine and when their silos have all kinds of grain that they couldn't possibly, possibly put any more grain, any more produce than what they have. He says, I have joy more than the most blessed person you could think of with grain or wine that's what he says you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound I call it super abounding joy now, now this is this is a guy that we read about who was weeping who was disconsolate distressed discouraged we read those words and he says you put you put superabounding joy in my heart. And then he says this, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This could be after the victory. Hey, I went to bed in complete security. I have nothing but joy and peace. God, you've 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 delivered me. I can dwell in safety. Superabounding joy and sweet, secure peace. Wow. I mean, this is a guy who went through what we read chapter after chapter after chapter. You say, Yeah, well, he was a guy with clay feet. Yes he was. Yes, he was. He was a sinner like us. But this guy also has superabounding joy and secure peace. He—he's a guy to look to for some instruction, and we have it here in Psalm 4. Let's let's pray, and then we'll sing from Psalm 4, verses seven and eight. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, you.